Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome to KawaiiCast. Welcome. I'm Candace. And I am Tyler. So let's go ahead and just get right into it with our anime news. Anime news. Uh, so musician slash actor uh, Gact. I was literally going to actually... This, this is the story that I was actually going to talk about. I can't believe you're taking my story. Uh, well, I'll let, you, I'll let you go then. Okay, yeah. So uh, J-Rock singer Gact is unfortunately... Uh, permanently suspending his entire entertainment career, going on a permanent hiatus uh, due to a neurological disorder known as dysphonia. Yeah. So it's apparently a disorder he's been dealing with his entire life, and it's just gotten to the point where he just cannot keep doing what he's doing. So I do wish him the best. I know a lot of his fans are going to be extremely upset that he'll no longer be singing... But honestly, as long as he can stay happy and have a good life, I, I, do, I think Gact deserves everything that he's worked for. So yeah, it's very, very sad. I hope he doesn't get too bored. He recently started a YouTube channel because he was just really bored. <laughs> so as, as one tends to do. Yeah, because he wasn't getting a lot of work due, due to the pandemic. So unfortunately, that'll probably be canceled as well. Yeah. So... But I do hope him a long and happy life because he's brought so many people happiness, honestly. He's yeah. such a cool guy. Yeah. So, so I'm sorry, Gact. <laughs> it makes me sad. I'm actually a fan. Uh, uh, I've been a fan of his since high school. So. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. That's, it is sad. So I love his music. So un- unfortunately, there's that, you know, mm-hmm. but it happens, I guess. Yeah. Um, on, lighter si- on the lighter side... Uh, fans of that time I got reincarnated as a slime uh, can look forward to an English smartphone game release later this year. Yeah, I saw that. I might check it out. I don't know. Yeah. I don't really play a ton of uh, games that are based off anime. No, you're just obsessed with one. <laughs> no, that one was a anime that was based off a game. That's different. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Whatever you gotta do- say. <laughs> yeah, I, I have yet to play any smartphone games that are based off of an anime. All right. <laughs> Anyways, there's our news, unless you uh, got more. Nope, that's it. That's all I got this week. Uh, it was kind of a short week since the last time we recorded, so. Yeah. Yeah, so we decided to do another movie night because we are still being plagued by the really, really slow anime season. Mm-hmm. Enjoying the small break before we are completely overwhelmed by the fall season. Yep. So uh, we decided to watch a movie that has been on my watch list for a while, and I made Tyler watch it. Yep. Because I knew I was going to want to talk about it on the podcast. Yarp. <laughs> do you want to tell them what that movie was? Uh, what was it? The Stranger by the Shore? The Stranger by the Shore. That's it. I nailed it. (laughs) So, yeah, this... I I just want to begin by saying this was not the movie I was expecting, honestly. Uh, I immediately kind of just want to address, like, the major elephant in the room with this movie, and that is the fact that there's not a lot of plot in this film. (laughs) There's... Also, not a lot of backstory. Yeah, well, I, I mean, like, literally, there's not, like, much of a plot, oh, but there's you, also no, oh, like, you plot. Mean plot. <laughs> <laughs> there's no plot or plot in this movie, so one I think is a bad thing, one I think is a good thing, so, and I'll, I'll explain, but 
most of the actual, like, story of this movie really is just about, like, two idiots who are just kind of trying to figure out their own shit, but also kind of like each other. So they're like, hey, we should be together, but I guess not. I don't know. It's awkward. And maybe we should date. I don't know. Let's sleep together. Eh, not tonight. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the whole thing is just kind of like messy, silly two guys in their 20s trying to figure out how to flirt. Well, they're they're farther ahead <laughs> than I am. I'm like 30 something and I still don't know how to flirt. Yeah. So they're they're both really bad at it. And they both can't really figure out their own mess of a story and because of that, we don't really have like a strong just central narrative throughout the entire thing. It just kind of treats each of their like moments as just fleeting things that happen from time to time, which does make it a bit more realistic in my opinion, because your life isn't following one narrative or one plot. You're just kind of getting through day to day and trying to figure things out. And that's very much how this movie is written. Yeah. It almost feels more like this was intended on being a short or a series of shorts and instead it ended up being a movie. Yeah, I I didn't care for the the way it moved forward. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm assuming they're they're trying to make it out like you know obviously time is is passing. Yeah. But but they don't really do any indicators for the time is passing. It's just like, oh, there's there's this kid sitting on a bench at the beach. I'm gonna watch him. Yeah. And then, like, it doesn't really show, like, the next day, it's, you know, he tries saying hi. He's like, hey, and, you know, kid walks by. And it just kind of, like, it doesn't show that, like, more happens than that. It's, you know? Yeah. Because at one point, you know, the, the one the one boy is giving, and I, I don't remember his name, but I remember Mio. So, yeah, the two main characters' name is Shun, who Shun, is the writer, okay. and Mio, who is the boy he had a crush on. Yeah, so, like, Shun goes to give Mio, like, a leftover meal or whatever, like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be nice thing, and Mio's just like, yeah, you're that boy who's been watching me, and it's kind of creepy. Yeah. But it's like, at this point, there's there's been no time indicators, so you can only assume more time has passed than, like, a day and a half, but it doesn't explain that. Yeah, and I'll actually agree with you on that. Um, I think this is one of those films where the second time you watch it, you have a bit more of an understanding about, like, how much time has passed, but, yeah, your first viewing, it's, it's not very clear... It makes the pacing feel a little bit weird, and it makes it really hard to be attached to these characters right off the bat, because it, it's a bit messy. And, again, it's, as opposed to actually having a narrative that we can follow and that we can become invested in, instead it's just kind of these fleeting moments. Like, it's, it's almost written like a flashback, or kind of like a journal, where you're not really recording the passage of time so much as you're just remembering moments that you had with a person so I think in a weird way it's kind of smart but at the same time from a storytelling perspective it's it's awkward yeah and it's confusing uh, same thing when we do finally get an indicator for a time skip which is three years down the line 
we don't really know what kind of communication the two of them had with each other in that three years. Uh, we're given hints that they wrote letters to each other or that Mio called Shun at some point. Like, the two of them have clearly kept in touch some way, but we don't really know, like, what kind of relationship they had during that three years where they were apart from each other. Yeah. So when Mio does return and goes to confess his feelings to Shun for the first time, now that he's an adult, and he's like, you don't need to feel awkward about me being a kid anymore because now I'm 20, suddenly everything is moving really, really fast, and... Mio comes off as very, very forward. And it's like, what happened in that three years? Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> For reals. So, last week we talked a lot about how a lot of Westerners view anime tropes. And the problem I have with so many anime tropes being misused in a series. I would say this movie is almost the exact opposite, where... You will not find a single trope in this movie. There is none to be had. This takes the whole... Uh, excuse you, there is one to be had. Which one? The infamous time skip. I mean, even that wasn't <laughs> written like a time skip, though. Like I said, almost everything in this movie is kind of written just like, hey, you remember that time when we hung out kind of thing? Like, it, it feels more like memories than an actual story. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't even consider it like a traditional time skip. But this movie definitely avoids a lot of the, like, tropes that come, especially with, like, gay romance or any kind of slice-of-life romance in anime. The biggest thing we avoid is the whole we're not gonna tell each other how we feel until the end of the movie trope. They know how they feel about each other right off the bat. Like, before the movie even starts, they have already confessed to each other, and they're already holding hands. And it also avoids one of my biggest issues with, like, particularly boy love romance, where... Is it the yaoi hands? No, they actually don't even have yaoi hands. <laughs> so they actually look like they're young adults. They even constantly point out the fact that Mio looks like a child. That he's extremely young, but uh, my biggest issue with boy love tropes is the idea that inexperienced guys know what they're doing. <laughs> it is such a common trope in boy love that like all teenage boys know exactly what to do. Look, teenage boys get a lot of practice <laughs> with themselves. Well, and they even... They, they, they know how to please a man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get into that a little later, but because uh, it does kind of imply a little bit of that with Shun as well, but that's what I mean by there's like th that's the good part about this not having no plot is like there's never a point where you're watching this because you just want to fetishize gay couples like that. That is one of my biggest issues with boy love is the idea that. It, it was designed for women, is the thing. Where this movie is very, very clearly targeted towards LGBT youth. Yeah, it's, it's not directed towards women in particular. Yeah. And I think that's such a positive thing because... I do think the boy love genre does tend to 
push out a lot of garbage because of that. I do think that we do get some exceptions where you just want to watch a cute couple develop and learn to like each other. Things like Given is a really good one, or they try to use like male romance as a major like plot device for more drama and things like Banana Fish, but even those tend to fall into those tropes where they kind of get of a lot of attention because it's like, look, it's boy love. This is targeted for women. This is a girl show. But this one in particular, I don't feel like is like that. This is like, hey, have you kind of struggled with coming out? Or are you part of the LGBT community and you need to feel represented in media, particularly anime, without feeling like you're part of some crazy fetish? This is the movie for you. Yeah, and, and it even does kind of go in that with, uh, with Shun. You know, where when he was younger, he, you know, was kind of teased, you know, because mm-hmm. the other boys would be like, oh, do you think maybe he's homo? Yeah. You know, and and he was kind of teased in that way. And so it comes up, you know, more than once where where he has it in his head that, like, is, isn't it weird that a boy can like another boy? Yeah, I was actually going to say, I think Shun might be one of the best representations of gay youth I've seen in any kind of film or media because not only did he struggle with like the harassment and bullying as a kid but he because of like where he grew up and who he was raised by he does have that internalized homophobia and it's something that's not really talked about a lot in LGBT like media is the idea that If you were raised to believe that it's weird, one of the reasons you might not come out is because you yourself think it's weird. Yeah. And that's very much what Shun's character in this story is. We see that uh, he comes from a very traditional Japanese family, like one of those families that kind of decide what your future is going to be when you're very young. Like, you get involved in your family's business, you basically have a fiance when you're a child you have your whole life planned out by your parents and because of that shun ultimately chose his safety over his happiness and that was because he chose his childhood friend a girl he grew up with and told his parents like if i have to marry somebody i want it to be her she's the only one i'm okay with And he even pretended to be straight just because even though she knew he was gay, she was safe. She was a safe person that he could come out to, that he could be with, that he could spend his life with. Even if it meant that he would be in an unlovable marriage for the rest of his life. Well, not not just that, but like in in that flashback where, you know, he's uh, basically pining over a boy, you know, and, and on the basketball t- team, or volleyball, I don't remember. I think it was basketball. Yeah. You know, but you know, his childhood friends walk walks up and she's like, oh, why why don't you tell him? And he's like, well, he's my friend, it would be awkward if if it, you know, like you know, so so I think he has it in his head that like, hey, I can't tell my other, my my male friends either. Yeah, there's even a point where he tells me, oh, he's like, the reason why he, you know, had feelings for him but never acted on it is he's like, well, when I tell my friends, then they're no longer my friends. 
He's like, I lose that part of me or that thing that's safe because I'm trying to be who I am. Yeah. And so Shun has basically spent his entire life knowing that being who he is will always come with risks. And they're not risks that he's willing to take. And because of that, he's more willing to deny his true self than actually be happy. And that might also be one of the reasons why he chose writing as a career path. It might be an outlet for a lot of those feelings, or it might just be a way for him to detach himself from the reality that he's kind of forced himself into. Yeah. I gotta say, though, that writing job... (laughs) Is this just a thing with Japanese writers? Like, they have their deadline... And it's like, oh, when was your deadline? Yesterday. To, to, to yesterday. <laughs> oh, are you going to be okay? Eh, I'll just airmail it tomorrow and we'll be fine. <laughs> like, like, is this a thing that's common in Japanese writers? I wouldn't know. I don't know any Japanese writers, honestly. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, I know it's common with, like, uh, like manga ka. Mm-hmm. But I'm not so much about, like, novelists. Yeah, the manga industry is also extremely harsh. So, because it's such a competitive market. Yeah. So I'm not particularly sure with, like, novelists if that's a common thing as well. Okay. I'm not sure how competitive the novel industry is in Japan. I just know that the manga industry is extremely competitive. So Yeah. Because that is something that... We do research on being part of an anime podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. And also, as an artist, <coughs> I... I'm dying. <laughs> Don't die. Ugh. Keep talking. Water. <laughs> so, yeah, as an artist, a former starving artist, I do also understand the competitiveness of that market. But writing <sighs> has never been something I've looked too much into, aside from... I have a friend who writes, you know? Yeah. And being in touch with online people that have chosen that being fanfiction writers is honestly paying more bills than being an actual novelist. Which... (sighs) That's that's an interesting (laughs) thought. Yeah. Same with being, like, a fan artist, though. A lot of artists are going to make more money making fan media than they're going to make original content because being... Making any kind of original content is always such a heavy risk. Yeah. So it's it's often high risk, low reward, and that's why unless you have your foot in the door, you won't see a lot of people coming out as original content creators, which is a bit unfortunate. But also making fan media can get you into the original industry. Again, talking about Given, the manga cop for Given started out by writing Haikyuu Dodenshi, so... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> More boy love facts. I'm here with them. Or or you can be like um the writer to Oh, what's that show called? Um <clears throat> It'll come to me. I forget. No. <laughs> no, it probably won't. Uh it's it's another boy love. Uh yeah, it's not coming to me. <laughs> Tyler doesn't but, know his boy but, love facts. But uh, she got to the point. <laughs> yes, do, do I look like someone who watches a lot of boy love? I hang out with me. So. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she her her work got fairly well known. And then she decided to write her own 
fan doujin. Yeah. <laughs> for her own work. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of hilarious. Like, mm, does that make it canon? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? So, yeah. Uh, back to The Stranger by the Shore. I was genuinely impressed with Shun's character, though, because... I don't know. It doesn't feel like he has a ton of development or writing behind him, but he's just so freaking relatable because he is an outcast from his family. And I'm not saying all LGBT youth are outcasts from their family, but the biggest major plot in the story is that his former fiance shows up to bring him home because apparently his dad is having major health problems and they don't know how much longer he's going to last and she wants Shun to be able to reconnect with his family so he doesn't have any kind of regrets. Yeah. And, and he's kind of when when he came out as gay, he just kind of like detached himself from his family. He yeah, cuz again, he came from that very traditional <coughs> Japanese family that has already planned out his life for him and he came out basically on his wedding day to cancel the uh, arranged marriage and to say, well, I'm attracted to men. And both of his parents reacted very, very negative to, negatively to it, so he detached himself from his family. Yeah. And for anybody who has been through that, where your family hasn't accepted you for who you are, constantly <laughs> being told by other people that you need to rebuild those bridges because you might have regrets later is probably one of the most terrifying experiences you can go through because it makes you feel like it's your fault that you have lost touch with your family. Yeah, and and that's not necessarily just LGBT either. Like That mm -hmm. can just be like if you had um, abusive parents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you, it's that same thing where, where it's like, well, I left, I left that for a reason and now people are trying to bring me back in. Yeah. And there, it does approach these subjects, especially from Mio's point of view, because throughout the movie we see that Mio had such a deep connection to his mother and that he lost his father when he was really young. And so for him to not have either parent and to be an orphan as a teenager for him he he can't understand that idea of not wanting to be with your family he's like you should care about your parents you should want to be with them and he just there's that part of him that just really can't understand what shun is going through but he doesn't want shun to have those kind of regrets yeah and i really wish that the movie would have addressed this a little bit further because my biggest issue is the idea that we just kind of agree with Mio because, oh, his memories with his mom are so cute. But honestly, I do think that, that is a terrifying situation for Shun, and I don't like that the movie just kind of writes it off as Shun needs to get over it. Well, it also doesn't really go into his, like, Shun's relationship with his parents. Like, as mm -hmm. far as we know, that it could have been he could have had a good relationship with his parents. Mm -hmm. But because he came out as gay, you know, he estranged himself from his family, mm -hmm. you know, so... I think even if you so, have... So it's it's that unknown factor that, that makes us think, hey, maybe it might be 
the best for him. Yeah, and I I wish that the movie would have gone a bit more into that because I think even if you had a really good childhood and you really did care about your parents, I think once that bridge is burned, it's very very hard to rebuild it. And even when you do try to rebuild it, trying to cross it is horrifying. It is probably one of the most anxiety induced things that you can do to yourself because you don't know if they're going to burn it again. Yeah. But at the same time, like I said, the blame is being put on Shun in this situation. He's basically being told that he's the selfish one, that he's the one who's in the wrong, that if he doesn't mend things with his father, then it's, it's going to be like something that's going to haunt him for the rest of his life. And those are really terrible things to tell somebody. Like, I, I think you can want to mend those things with your parents and want to have the relationship that you used to have, but there's a reason why you haven't done that yet. And I'm not saying that Mio is in the wrong for trying to convince Shun, like, hey, you don't want to have any regrets, because Mio has his reasons as well, but I really wish that the movie just hadn't swept all of this under the rug. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so that's my issue. I wanted them to develop on that a little bit more, and that's my... That's what I mean by my biggest issue with this film is that there's no plot. I'm like, there were so many like loose strings. Just I, I want it to be nice and clean and wrapped up. And I wanted the plot to escalate and make us attached. And instead it just kind of hangs there. So yeah, I think incredible character writing on the part of Shun. And I also really, really like Mio as well, which I kind of want to go back to the beginning a little bit and talk about Mio, who for the most part, he is your typical anime orphan protagonist who's just like, oh, my mother was a saint. You know, look, memories of <laughs> us eating curry. My mother was a saint, but she was cursed with the side braid haircut. <laughs> yeah. The Trisha Elric syndrome. <laughs> yes. Um, Look at these cute memories of us eating faux crab and curry and making rice balls. And everything in Mio's childhood was just perfect all the time because he had the perfect mother. And these are really, really, really cute scenes. Don't get me wrong, but this is what makes Mio a little bit less relatable, in my opinion. Because he, he gets the anime protagonist syndrome as opposed to Shun, who feels like he was written based off of a real person. Yeah. So, well, what makes Mio likable, in my opinion, later is that he confesses to the idea that he isn't normally into men. His feelings for Shun are just that, feelings for Shun. It's, it's not about his sexuality. It's literally just about him falling in love with somebody and wanting to pursue that. And... It takes a very strong approach to the idea that a lot of youth in Japan, in particular, are not really told how to deal with these feelings or are given the proper education on how to accept themselves in any kind of community, especially LGBT. And so he actually ends up turning to basically a prostitute to ask, how do I pursue a guy that I'm interested in? <laughs> To, to which, you know, the best line in the movie is the, that said prostitute. Just be like, I'm not into children. Yeah. 
And I'm like, this is actually a really, really like heavy subject that is treated a bit lightly in this movie, but is a very real thing is that when you're not given the proper advice from adults, you do tend to turn to things like the internet or smut or prostitutes or random people at bars or- Do, do not assume <laughs> Whatever you read in your smut uh, fan fiction can actually happen. Yeah. And I love that it's not treated as a major like plot in this movie, but is just kind of those things that are hinted at. Like, yeah, if you, if you are trying to be in a same-sex relationship, you're not going to find advice from most adults. You're going to have to turn to shadier sources. Yeah. And that's what he does. He goes to a bar and he asks... Because he doesn't know what else to do. Because he, if he tries to get advice from anybody else, or even... He probably also faces that the orphanage, too, is that he would probably be shamed or turned away or told, like, don't do that. And even from Shun himself, Shun's like, well, you're popular with the girls. Go find yourself a normal girlfriend. Yeah. Um, honestly, overall, I didn't care for the movie. Yeah. To be honest. Um, and, and that's, that, that is part of the reason is like for the longest time, like, like Shun meets Mio and he's, he basically is like, oh, I really like you, yo, blah, blah, blah. And, and then they're separated for three years. And when Mio comes back, Shun starts acting cold to him. Like, yeah. hey, no, I'm, I'm, no, go, go live your own life. Go find a girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then out of nowhere... Shun or uh, Mio calls Shun, and and all of a sudden Shun is like, "Oh, where are you? I'm I'm at a bar and wherever." Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, he's like running all the way across town to find Mio just to aggressively kiss him. Yeah, like like you've been cold to him this entire fucking time. Why is it this one phone call out of nowhere that you decide I just really want to suck face? Yeah. Well, I actually really liked that part of the writing, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, it's like I mentioned with Shun. I think Shun is such a brilliantly written character as an LGBT representative of, like, gay, like, youth culture. Like... He's not really sure of his own feelings, and again, he does have a lot of that internalized homophobia, which is why when he sees girls flirting with Mio, he's just like, well, two guys being together would be weird. He should be with a girl. And it's because he's kind of self-deprecating in that situation. He's Yeah, and, and I understand that. I'm like, I agree with you. The character writing is good. Yeah. But, like, some of these instances like that just kind of come out of left field and don't really make much sense. I think that's kind of how romance is, though. Like, I you just eventually cave into your impulses, and that's kind of what that was supposed to be. It wasn't like he had this revelation that's like, oh, I, I actually really want to be with me. I think it was just one of those things, like, it kind of snapped in him that he was being a shitty person, and he's like... You know, I'm going to act on my feelings. I don't know if the movie really presented that in the best way it could have, but I like that that is how they wrote it, because I know that anytime I've had feelings for somebody, it's never made sense, and it's always been impulse decisions or things that I said spur of the moment, maybe I regretted later. 
stuff like that. And that's how Shun is very much written. He's not always going to make sense, but that's because a lot of the times he's suppressing his feelings or he's hating himself or again he's choosing safety over happiness uh what i didn't like is that immediately following that was the plot line with his ex-fiance yeah <laughs> yeah like it it definitely derailed the pacing at that point the thing i really liked though is that even though he took mio to a, a hotel obviously to try to like get the ball rolling with him He's like, I haven't slept in three days. We're not having sex. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a realistic interpretation of, like, a healthy relationship, in my opinion. And even, like, Mio's like, but I thought that's why we're at a hotel. You're an idiot. Well, it wasn't a love hotel, so that that's why. (laughs) Okay? I also, I just really love his little baka. (laughs) The voice actor who plays Mio is just great. Yeah. So yeah, like I I feel like the movie does derail itself quite a bit, but I really really love the actual realistic relationship that these two characters have with each other. That they didn't immediately just sleep together and everything was fixed. And I know this is going to make this a bit of a shorter episode, but I kind of want to get into the spoilers following the end of the movie. I don't think this movie really has any major plot twists or heavy things. I think if you want something that's just cute LGBT, go check it out. So I think even if you listen to the spoilers, it's not going to spoil anything, honestly. It's, it's, yeah. it's not some big drama bomb, but uh, after the whole plot thread with his ex-fiance, the two of them do make up from a fight by sleeping together for the first time. And it is revealed that uh, Shun is actually a bottom. Uh, so that scene was kind of hilarious, to be honest. <laughs> just just because, like, Shun goes to talk to Mio, and Mio's like, I'm getting naked. Yeah. And, like, just starts stripping. <laughs> and Shun's like, okay, whatever. You know. And then Mio's like, you get naked too. And so, <laughs> you know, starts dressed, you know, pulling off his clothes. And, and it's just... It was amusing, because mm-hmm. it was, it, I don't know, it seemed like uh, Shun wasn't there for the sex, but yeah. <laughs> Mio just saw the opportunity, he's like, okay, tonight's the night, we're fucking doing this. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what I mean, like, I really like how realistic their relationship is, because if this were any other kind of boy love, this would just be some, like, hot, heavy scene between these two guys and everything would be like, the mood would be set and they'd both know everything that they're doing and they'd both be like, even though it was the first time together, they know every little spot and like pleasure moment ever. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know why people think that your first time having sex with somebody is going to be perfect. No, it's always awkward. It's always awkward. And this scene was so awkward in one of the most adorable ways because... Like you said, it didn't really feel like Shun was completely there until Shun's like, Alright, I guess we're having sex, but I'm gonna need you to top. And then Mio's like, I can't top, are you crazy? I'm not gonna last that long. He's like, I can't top either, we we probably should have talked about this. And and Shun also kind of planned on sleeping with him that night, because he's like, uh, I kind of prepared for this. Um, 
I'm a little curious as to how he prepared. Uh, major 18 plus content here, but y- y- you did, stretch did, it. Did, did he pre-lube or did he... Yeah, you... <laughs> okay, I apologize for the younger people listening, but you you fiddle and you stretch it a little bit. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you, you, you put a couple fingers in there and you loosen it up, like... Because... <laughs> Your butt is not naturally going to stretch like that. Hey, if all of those fan fictions I've read are correct, the ass is self-lubricating. <laughs> yeah, you're and and will stretch to any size. <laughs> Anal is not the same thing as vaginal sex, alright? Like You got to go into it prepared, and foreplay is very, 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 very important. And so the scene actually points out that Shun actually did the foreplay part beforehand. So Mio didn't have to do any of that. And Mio reacted to this by basically being like, you're going to have to show me how to do that so I can be the bottom next time. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Which made the whole thing more awkward. What an awkward experience. (laughs) Uh, my reaction to this scene was, I can't believe two bottoms fell in love with each other. Yeah. But yeah. You know, it's funny because as we were watching <laughs> earlier in the movie, I was thinking to myself, boy, wouldn't it be awkward if they both turned out to be bottoms? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say anything, but yeah, yeah. It, that thought did hit me. Well, and I love how silly and awkward it is, though, because it's not one of those, like, oh, I'm so happy I made you feel good. Because they even ask, he's like, how, how does this feel? He's like, it's exhausting. Like, that's how their whole, like, first time goes. They're both just like, yeah, I'm exhausted. And then they just eat tempura afterwards. Like, they're just like, this... Uh, the, the ideal after-sex meal. Yeah. Like, they, they both just burned a lot of energy just trying to figure out how to fit together. And then when they were down, they were just like, oh, like... Well, that was a thing, you know. I guess, I guess we're together now, and it wasn't like bad because they both enjoyed it and they both enjoyed being together. But at the same time, it's like it wasn't this hot, heavy scene, you know. And that's what I mean by this movie doesn't have that kind of plot, and that's the good kind of plot that it's missing. <laughs> like, yeah. this is not fetishizing two guys, and I love that that's the approach that they took in this, because even like straight sex in media is always like, oh, that was amazing. I can't believe you lasted 50 minutes. You know, like... If... <laughs> Not gonna mention anything. Can't believe you lasted longer than this episode of the podcast. Uh... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, if if there's anything I've learned from Western media, it's that during sex, uh, the girl will always, you know, stretch her arms out and, like, hit something, you know, like a button that shoots out flamethrowers, and, and, and that's her orgasm. You know, it's, it's, it's like flamethrowers, or, like, handprint on a, on a, you know, inner, inside of a car window, uh-huh. like, that's, that's just how it is, that's what happens, Yeah, right? that, that is the female orgasm. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> See, we didn't need that in this movie, because they were both guys. Exactly. <laughs> 
I want my flamethrower, damn it. <laughs> Guys don't get that. Oh. <laughs> Women need that because how else are you gonna know that we're happy? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, like I love the awkwardness of this movie. I love that it doesn't fit into your typical tropes. I do wish that we had a bit more tension to become attached to. Because I think that... I don't want to say the pacing is weird, because I think that's what every single critic is going to say for anything that they just dislike. Because the pacing is weird. But it really does treat the whole thing more as... It's less of a conversation is more just a series of sentences, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I thought that this would be a fun little slice of life movie, and it, it's really not. So I don't know if I want it to feel more like your typical anime movie or if I'm happy that it's not your typical anime movie. But I will say I am extremely grateful that it is not your typical boy love movie because I think that, like, gay youth should have representation in media that makes them feel validated, not sexualized. Yeah. And that's what this movie does. Your first time is allowed to be awkward. <laughs> You're not going to have the best first time. Even if you've been with other people. Because it points out neither of them are virgins. They both have been with women. Because they, they actually have that conversation with each other. Yeah. And they still couldn't quite figure it out together. And that's normal. That's healthy. I mean, you could, you could have a lot of experience and still feel like a virgin when you find somebody that's different. And in this case, it's it was their gender that was different, but it was also just the fact that both of them genuinely cared about each other, and they wanted to do it right. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I love these two characters. I love the animation style is really pretty. The art style is really pretty. Uh, I wish they would stop showing us that wall of flowers, though. <laughs> like, every time they needed to, like cut to a more serious scene they literally just cut to this like wall of flowers uh that's because that was a wall of flowers that was planted from a flower that Mio gave Shun well there was that one yeah but then the other flower there was just like a bunch of random flowers that had no plot relevance other than we just don't want to animate the scene of two characters talking so we're gonna cut to a wall of flowers I'm, I'm an animator I know the tricks <laughs> Budget cuts. Yeah, it literally is. It is an excuse to not animate a stagnant scene. So they cut to a stagnant scene. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Some of the best animation in this movie, though, is easily the cats. There's like six cats in this movie. The, the cats are the best characters. I love flat, the cats. Flat out, the cats are the best. Uh, I also really like the lesbian couple. They were cute. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you, have, you have the crazy girl and then the cute girl. Yeah. And the crazy girl and the cute girl always hook up. That's a fact. I mean, it it has to be that way because, <laughs> you know, uh, you don't stick your dick in crazy. <laughs> but since the cute girl doesn't have a dick, she can't stick it in crazy. We're definitely going to have to put an 18 plus warning on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> 
We tend to talk a lot of adult conversations in these podcasts, but I, I think this is one that I'm actually genuinely worried that younger people are going to listen to and we're going to get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to put this as explicit. Okay. So, <laughs> I have that option. Yes, thank you. So... But yeah, uh, do I recommend this movie? I don't think this movie's gonna be for everyone, honestly. I I think a lot of people are gonna find this movie a bit boring. I think people are gonna go into this movie with different expectations and be leave a bit disappointed. But like I said, I think as far as representation, whether you were a loner in high school or if you are gay or bi or bi-curious non-binary, trans, whatever, and you've ever felt like you have had that exclusion in your life and you just want to be represented by a cute little movie, I think that you will find that with these two characters. Yeah. Um, I don't think I would recommend it. Like I said, I, I didn't care for it. It does have good characters. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the animation's pretty good. To me, it was just it was it really was just the pacing was weird because it didn't signify like any sort of like timing and yeah. you know so there was that but again the same thing like i mentioned earlier there was some stuff that just kind of came out of left field where it's where it's like oh the ex-fiance shows up like out of yeah. nowhere and, and and it's like that's fine that happens in life but like the timing of it was just way too convenient. It feels too grounded in reality. Yeah. Yeah, as opposed to being a, f- like, piece of fi- uh, fictional media. Yeah. So, like I said, I think people are going to go into this movie with different expectations, and they may leave being disappointed. I know I was, but when I just think about how much I really care about Shun and Mio as characters, I do think that it is good representation. And I do think that that is rare. And similar to what I was saying last week, that I think you can take... You can enjoy a piece of media that is a bit mediocre and hope that it leads to better media in the future. I think supporting a film like this shows that that kind of representation and the non-fetishization of LGBT youth is so important and it could lead to more thought-out stories about okay so hear me out i know this is going to be super cliche mm-hmm. but this movie could have made been made a hundred times better if at the end it just shows like a really old hand closing a photo album okay yeah that'd be cute <laughs> you know because like you said it seems yeah. like these are more like memories, memories than, yeah than it is an actual story so it is. It doesn't. So, even... so I feel like something, something like that, yeah, would just show that, like, hey, this is kind of like we're looking back on on our life. So what you need, what you mean is, this movie needs a framing device. Yes. Yeah. Any kind of framing device would have definitely improved this film a lot. So yeah, go into it with that mindset. Go into the mindset that this is like literally just two adults remembering how they met each other as kids. Yeah. And you'll you'll appreciate it a lot more for what it is. There we go. That is our final take on this. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, I, I love the characters. I, I wish the movie was framed a bit better. Yeah. So, that's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Stranger by the Shore, it is available to watch on Funimation, both in dub and sub. Uh, we watched the we sub. We watched in sub. 
and it has been on YouTube for a while as well. I believe it even has different language in the subtitles on yeah. YouTube as well. So, yeah, go check it out. Thanks for listening, you guys. Yep. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. Bye. Bye.